Hey, this is Outside In. I'm Nate Hedgie, here today with someone whose name you hear often in our credits, Rebecca Lavoy. Hello. Rebecca's a TV and podcast critic and a podcast host in her own right, but she's also NHPR's Director of On-Demand Audio. That's your title, right? Director of On-Demand Audio? I'm the head of podcast. It's just a lot easier to say. <laughs> well, I wanted to use On Demand because I gave you a demand recently to binge watch the show Yellowstone. This valley is mine. Come and get it. I plan to. This is survival. Kill or be killed. You leave now. So Yellowstone first came out in 2018. It's five seasons deep. Kevin Costner plays the lead, and it's got cowboys, cattle ranches, big sweeping shots of the Rocky Mountains. And public radio audiences may be surprised to hear this, but Yellowstone was the most watched cable TV show in 2022. So, Rebecca, what'd you think of it? I watched the whole thing. I hated it, and I watched the whole thing. <laughs> okay, how, how would you how would you describe it? It's Downton Abbey in Montana. That's that's all. That's what it is. It's a family mm-hmm. struggling to keep their estate, which they should not own yep. because times have changed. And there's an upstairs downstairs situation. Except in uh, Yellowstone, it's big house, little house, mm-hmm. little house being where all the cowboys and workers live. Yep. There's a set of siblings that are different from one another and all awful in their own separate ways. Uh-huh. And there is problematic class and race issues going on all the time. <laughs> it is Downton Abbey in America, period. I don't give a about this place. If dad died tomorrow, I would sell my share to the Four Seasons and I would swim laps in the pool they built without an ounce of remorse. Everything I do is for him and everything you do is for you. For me, actually, it reminds me of a soapy Western Game of Thrones, Hmm. in part because the bad guys are all killed in, like, ridiculous ways. (laughs) Like, one dude is murdered after a guy throws a rattlesnake at him. Do you remember that? I sure do. (laughs) And then there's another guy who is literally shot while sitting on a toilet. (laughs) I don't want to die on a toilet. I promised my wife I'd kill you. All a man has is his word. Another thing about the show is like, it is a Western, but in this Western, the bad guys aren't outlaws, right? Like they're mostly real estate developers. (laughs) (laughs) And Easterners. Yes. Yep. And the main character, rancher John Dutton, played by Kevin Costner, is trying to stop them from buying his massive ranch near Yellowstone National Park. You want to build subdivisions? Move to Dallas. I won't have him here. Call it progress, John. Progress doesn't need your permission. The show is essentially about a family fighting the outsiders who are moving in and trying to change their way of life. But I actually live in Montana. And the irony is real Montanans, they're blaming the show for doing exactly that, attracting rich outsiders who are moving in and changing their way of life. Well, it's location porn, so why wouldn't they want to do that, right? Look how beautiful this is. Who wouldn't want this? (laughs) Seeing a place you call home depicted in a movie or a TV show, it can be jarring. But what happens when the Hollywood distortion starts seeping into real life? 
Today on Outside In, we are going to explore how a fake show is changing my home state of Montana, and we're going to look at what Yellowstone gets right and wrong about women, native folks, and the West. This is America. We don't share land here. Rebecca, were you one of those kids that wanted to leave your hometown as soon as you graduated high school? Yes, I was. <laughs> Where'd you go? I actually came to New Hampshire. Okay, that that tracks. But Maggie Slepian, she grew up in New Hampshire, and as soon as she graduated, she moved out west. It was basically like, no offense to New Hampshire, but get me out of New Hampshire. And what can I do that is at least uh, 2,000 miles away from the town that I just spent 22 years in? Ouch. So Maggie has worn a lot of hats. She's a freelance journalist. Uh, She's also a horse wrangler for TV shows and movies. She moved to Bozeman, Montana in 2012. And when she first got there, it was like every 20-something outdoorsy person's paradise. I biked downtown. I worked at a local coffee shop. I dog sat. It was, yeah, it just felt like a small mountain town community. Rent was not that expensive. We put three people into a two-bedroom apartment. It had indoor-outdoor carpeting. Um, I'm pretty sure I paid my entire rent um, in cash tips. Do you remember when you could do that, by the way? No. Really? <laughs> I mean, sure, I guess. I mean, it sounds like she's describing sort of like the Brooklyn of the West, the way she's like throwing it out there, doesn't it? <laughs> a little bit. I mean, I remember when I was able to get away with like $250 a month on, yeah. on rent. If you're willing to live with three other people, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But then a few years ago, around when the show began first coming out, Bozeman felt like it really started changing. It became a destination for rich out-of-staters. Home prices nearly doubled. And anecdotally, real estate agents were leaning on Yellowstone's appeal. I mean, they referenced the show in their listings. All these ranches got subdivided. People started building McMansions. Things are more expensive. Um, Small businesses are being priced out of their leases on Main Street. The local businesses and restaurants that I went to a decade ago, a lot of them are gone. They've been replaced by pop-up stores, and um, there's these national brands. There's Athleta, there's Lululemon, there's a backcountry.com store. Also, people can't afford to live in Bozeman, and so there um, are fewer and fewer people to work at the lower-paying jobs. This is not just a Bozeman problem, right? Like, name me a beautiful rural town in America, and it's probably seen a lot of change recently from the rise of remote work, of boomers retiring. I mean, have you seen this in New Hampshire? The pandemic absolutely attracted a lot of people my way, that's for sure. This rural gentrification, it's happening everywhere. And the attitude people have about it here in Montana, I think that's one of the things the show gets right. Well, the open bar was my daughter's idea. So this is from the fifth season of the show. Kevin Costner's character, fifth-generation rancher John Dutton, gets elected as governor of the state. He's up on a podium giving a victory speech. The question we all have to answer, the one that I will look to every day is, what will Montana look like in 100 years? Much of that is dictated by the way the world sees us today. Right now, we are seen as the rich man's plaything. 
We are New York's novelty and California's toy. Not anymore. So I think that this attitude, like, is something that people in Montana actually have. I think the show nails it. Hmm. Um, You can hear echoes of this speech, actually, in a recent campaign ad from real-life Democratic Senator John Tester. Things are too expensive. Some families are being forced to sell their farms they've had for generations. We're losing access to our public lands. Hell, even some of our favorite bars are closing. Folks back in Washington and even some folks moving here don't understand or frankly don't care what's happening out here. I'm defending our way of life with everything I've got. Sounds kind of familiar, right? It sounds like John Dutton. Absolutely. Yeah. Isn't Dutton a Republican, though, in the show? I think it's like, I mean, it's ambiguous, right? He never actually says what he is, but like, come on. Dude is a Republican. (laughs) Well, yes and no, because his environmental stuff is kind of all over the place. And he's rich, by the way. So when he makes fun of rich people, I'm like, dude, (laughs) have you seen your house? Have you seen your house? (laughs) Absolutely. And this actually brings me to my next point. Like the show, it kind of nails the general feeling that Montanans have towards outsiders. So you'd think that Yellowstone would actually be really popular in Montana, but it's not. A recent poll showed that many Montanans have not watched it, and those that have do not think it reflects the state very accurately. And I think that's because the show is soapy and sexy, and the Montana it portrays is soapy and sexy too. You know, when you boil life down, it's funny. Just how little you need, isn't it? Mm. Shame that in a few more generations this won't exist. (laughs) People have been saying that for a hundred years, Beth. I mean, they thought that barbed wire was going to ruin the frontier. There it is. Frontiers all around us. They were basically showing the highlight reel, like social media's version of what Montana looks like. Here's Maggie Slepian, the horse wrangler and writer. So you're getting kind of not only like the best conditions, but you're getting the best scenery. And you're also getting what looks like very wild spaces which some parts of Montana do look like, but we're not shooting in wilderness because that's very difficult to get permits for. So they're shooting on these places that right outside the camera frame are developments and houses and fence lines and roads. And there's lights across the valley that are being edited out with VFX and post-production. And another thing about this show, like winter does not exist. And let me tell you, like, Winters in Montana, they are brutal. So Yellowstone shoots May through October. And unless you're you're getting B-roll from somewhere else, which they wouldn't use because it's not seasonally appropriate for the show, they're only showing it looking really nice. And sometimes the cottonwoods and aspens are changing and they're yellow and it's still really sunny. And everybody's wearing just like these very nicely fitted Carhartt style jackets. Um, no one's dressed like a miserable snowman. And it's never negative 15 degrees with snow blowing sideways. And you're never walking through layers of crusty ice and punching through onto the slush and sleet below. And your horse is never getting giant snowballs stuck under their feet and like clogging up their shoes um so it just looks a lot friendlier of an environment than it actually is this would be like a movie set in new hampshire where it's all peak foliage colors cute white churches kindly small towns i mean like and that is not what new hampshire is really like right (laughs) (laughs) but obviously this is like a hollywood thing right like I think there are places that the studios love to portray beautifully, like the West or Hawaii 
And then there's places that they always portray as ugly, like the Rust Belt. Like, nobody is moving to Pennsylvania after watching Mayor of Easttown. And not just because of the accents. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, y'all in Pennsylvania. So what's the problem here? Well, for the millions of people watching Yellowstone on TV, they're getting a romanticized picture of life in Montana. And from a narrative standpoint, I think the show has to portray it in this beautiful, sexy way because... In order to make the audience empathize with John Dutton, they have to show Montana as a place that's worth preserving and saving. And as a result of that, you're showing this you know, incredible landscape that people then want to move to. So it's just feels like this tangled mess. For Maggie, it's kind of a vicious cycle. Yellowstone depicts Montana as some kind of pioneer paradise, which leads to more people coming, more change, more development. It's hard to say, you know, what the direct cause is. But um, yeah, seeing Montana in media playing this character, this aspirational character, that gives off this vibe that people want, I think absolutely has contributed to some of this migration. So I should say that there is actually no hard study showing that people move to Montana expressly because of the show. It's all anecdotal from realtors saying they get clients who bring up the show a lot, that kind of thing. But we do know that from a recent study, more than two million people have visited the state because of Yellowstone, the show not the park. And they are coming here with ideas about Montana that are based on a fictional TV show. Not only about how it looks, but about the people who live here, too. That's going to come up next. But first, I want to know, have you ever seen your hometown or your home state portrayed in a show or movie? How do they do? What do they get right? What do they get wrong? Please email us at outsidein at nhpr.org. Hey, you're listening to Outside In. I'm Nate Hedgie here today with Rebecca Lavoie. And I feel like we've gotten a little ahead of ourselves. I'm thinking of people who haven't seen this show. Like we should give like a quick like synopsis of some of these characters. So you've got John Dutton played by Kevin Costner, who is, you know, gruff, rough, dogs like this, cowboy. <laughs> well, now we face a new enemy. And they don't play fair. And then he's got three kids. That's right. He's got Beth, his daughter, who is mm-hmm. in, you know, a hot mess in every conceivable way, but she's also the smartest one and the most accomplished one because she's like a big financier type person. Look at you with your cat teeth and your spray tan. Get out of my office. I don't. Get the out of my office. Uh, you also have Jamie, who apparently got into law school because, like, John applied him to Harvard undergrad and he just got in. As it stands, I am the legal authority representing the Yellowstone, and I approve the sale of that tract. And then you have Casey, the murdery cowboy, who everyone says is the best, nicest one, even though he murders somebody in almost every episode in the first two seasons of the show. There's monsters everywhere in this world. You just gotta kill them when you find them. And... As someone who does not live in the West, Rebecca, I want to know, what was your what was your take? Well, as you said, it's a soap opera, mm-hmm. but it might also be, honestly, one of the most misogynistic soap operas I've ever watched. <laughs> How so? <laughs> well, I mean, let's reflect on some of the women on the show, shall we? 
Is there a woman character on the show that you could describe as strong and admirable and not in some way completely laid low at some point, nor completely messed up, nor sleeping with one of Dutton's? Can you name any character like that? Uh, no, you cannot. Exactly. Even the governor uh, at the beginning of the series, Linnell Perry, is sleeping with John Dutton. She comes the closest probably to being a strong, empowered female character, sleeping with John Dutton. Enjoy the sunset. Oh, fine. As long as you don't give me that look. What look? That look. Later in the series, you, you have another romantic partner for John Dutton, Summer Higgins, played by, I can't believe I'm saying this, Piper Parabo from Coyote Ugly, which is like every man's fantasy of a girlfriend, right? I, I remember watching the movie when I was a teenager, and I was like... Yeah, it's every man's fantasy of a girlfriend is to date one of those women from Coyote Ugly. And, <laughs> you know, Taylor Sheridan Caster as John Dutton's girlfriend, she gets laid low. She comes into town as a smart, young, bright environmentalist who, of course, is completely wrong for being a vegan. Some version of vegan. Do you make her something with no meat or eggs? Or milk. Or milk. Or butter. Or butter. Maybe some pancakes. I don't eat gluten. Has to be beat up by Beth, sent to jail, and then redeemed by learning the cowboy way and sleeping with John Dutton. That is the portrayal of women on Yellowstone. It's disgusting. It's completely disgusting. You're not a big fan of Beth Dutton, the character, right? This is John Dutton's daughter. No, I, I mean, if, if there's a character on the show that I like... She comes the closest only because she's the only unpredictable character on the show. So I actually spoke with someone who also likes Beth Dutton and actually sees a grain of truth in the character. I see a lot of women who like are, they're, they're rough and tumble. They've, they're raised on ranches. They have, they have to like be almost better than the boys. And so like that, that dynamic I thought was pretty interesting. So this is Taylor Stagner. She is a freelance journalist. And if there is anyone who is, lived a real-life version of Yellowstone. I think it's probably her. She grew up on a cattle ranch in Wyoming. And she says all the judginess in the show about outsiders, uh, it's totally real. Like, there's a scene in the fifth season where Beth Dutton tries to get the ranch hands to go out on a Friday night. Hey, why don't we go to a bar in Bozeman? That's a terrible idea. I think it's an excellent idea. The bars in Bozeman, Beth, are full of tourists and fake cowboys. We can go to a real cowboy bar. <laughs> Those don't exist anymore, honey. Listen to me. You take fake cowboys and you put them with real cowboys in a f bar and there's going to be fighting and we don't need fighting. It's a bad idea every time. Mm -hmm. They love to gatekeep like who's a cowboy and who is not a cowboy. She says her dad and all the other ranchers, they do this all the time. It's like one of their favorite pastimes at like any local dive bar. It's like, well, that guy, you know, he, he hasn't run cattle in years and ah, that person like dipped out. Like it's it's something you hear a lot about. I'm curious, is this just a Montana thing, like this judginess of outsiders and posers, or is that something that people in New England do, too? Oh, it is such not a Montana thing. <laughs> okay, I have lived in New Hampshire since 1993, and I am still not from here. There are people who live in my town who still say, like, oh, you're new. You don't qualify. You just don't qualify as a local. So this this kind of gatekeeping, that was one of the few things that 
Taylor thinks the show got right about the culture of the Roll West. Another one that actually surprised me was the branding. So you know how like in the show, new ranch hands are branded on the chest with a big Y for Yellowstone Dutton? Are you being mad about it? Don't scream. It's like, ooh, like cowboys are kind of cool. Oh, we're gonna brand each other. What is that like? Like that's <laughs> it, that was a little weird. Um, not gonna lie. Um, you guys never did any branding of each other at uh, at your uh, cattle operation. <laughs> oh, we had. Oh, well, we did, but it wasn't cool. Like it was just stupid. Um, what? I know. I was so surprised when she told me that. Oh, she just dropped that so casually. Oh yeah, we did. But in all seriousness, I I, I want to be really clear here. Taylor thinks there are a few things the show gets right, but it's also super problematic. The United States really hasn't come to grips with its roots of colonization and Western expansion. And once you really start to dive into that, it's people become uncomfortable. And that's not something that I think Yellowstone is very interested in deconstructing. So Taylor is a Shoshone Arapaho descendant, and she says... There is a real-life tension in the West about who has rights to the land here. And sure, Yellowstone flirts with this tension. In the show, there are a bunch of people vying for the Dutton Ranch, and one of them is a tribal chairman, Thomas Rainwater. And he has this pretty powerful monologue in the first season. I figured it'll take about $14 billion to buy it all. All what? The valley? I'm going to buy your ranch first. Right after you die, and your children can't afford the inheritance tax. And I'm gonna pull down every fence, and any evidence that your family ever existed will be removed from the property. It'll look like it used to, when it was ours. I will erase you from the future. And then I'll do it to the next ranch, and the next, and there's nothing that you can do to stop it. See, I'm the opposite of progress, John. I am the past. Catching up with you. If you don't depict Rainwater as like a villain, he makes a really good point. (laughs) What she's referring to is the fact that indigenous communities have been on this land for tens of thousands of years, right? Like it was their homeland before they were forcibly displaced by the U.S. government and white settlers. Rainwater saying that to John Dutton's face, I'm, I'm kind of on his side. If they're going to play a game of who has been there the longest, which they kind of do in this show, Rainwater wins. Like, the tribes win. Yes. And you know how the show deals with that, which is so upsetting? They end up changing Rainwater's point of view and what he's going to do with the land when he gets it in order to solidify the viewer against him, right? Yes. Season one, he's going to tear down all the fences and, and make it the past by the... Season four, season five, he's going to be building an airport and a town and casinos and partnering with these gigantic financial developers. Mm-hmm. It's, that's what they do to try to manipulate the story to, you know, try to get us Team Dutton again. It's it's real gross. I do find it interesting just because of the the ways that it depicts John Dutton as kind of an anti-hero. He's just very confidently asserting his domination over this land. It's his, it's his family's. Um, he'll kill for it to defend it. And 
I mean, I think I, I understand why people are so attracted to it. I'm not one of them. There's also another example of how the show does like a ham-fisted job dealing with indigenous issues. So in one episode, there's this whole plot line where Casey Dutton, who again is that grungy youngest Dutton, he's driving around with his son down a highway on the Broken Rock Reservation, and he spots a sketchy-looking van parked off the side of the road, so he pulls over. There's laws on the reservation that don't apply to people who don't live here. Sometimes people come and try to take advantage. So Casey walks out, and sure enough, he finds a kidnapped indigenous teenager in the van, along with two white guys who he, because this is Yellowstone, shoots and kills. And then he takes the girl home, and he tells her dad what happened. One thing about the Riz. That's where things go to disappear. Then the dad and Casey, they go back out there. They put the bodies in a hole. They light them on fire. End of story. And what this scene is referring to is the very real missing and murdered indigenous peoples crisis. Are you familiar with that, Rebecca? I absolutely am familiar with it. And you're actually like missing, you're missing one detail that is also part of this same story. It happens contemporaneously to this story, which is supposed to heighten the tension, but also detracts from the issue at hand, which is that while Casey is having this confrontation with these two men that leads to him killing them, his son Tate crawls into a pipe with a rattlesnake in it, right? It's it's silly, obviously, dramatically, but it's also like, keep your eye on the ball. If you're going to do this story, do it right, do it well, and not fail at it in every possible way, which is what they did with it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it just, like, glazes over this very real issue, which, just in case people who aren't familiar with the crisis, Native folks, they go missing or are murdered at a much higher rate than other demographics in this country. And the show treats it like a momentary side plot. It loses those that moment that could have been very pointed, like this is due to lack of funding, this is due to large areas um, with very few police to um, take care of people. It's a lot of things. It didn't even have to take that long. It could have been just like, hey, why is this person being kidnapped by two white guys in a van? And why do we feel so comfortable just kind of like, okay, well, that, that was just for drama's sake. When there could have been some teaching there. And this is where I feel like the creators of the show do a legit disservice to their audience. Taylor Sheridan, who wrote most of the episodes, he never really criticizes or examines the ugly roots of the West. Like how the U.S. government maintains a broken system of funding that exacerbates poverty and death on reservations. Or how wealth disparity has created a situation where rich East Coasters, they can just buy up millions of acres of ranch land in the West just to go hunting a couple times a year. There's a real impact in a show not going deep or playing this kind of stuff out for drama because, you know, a lot of Americans, they aren't reading history books anymore. Their understanding of the West, of Native people, comes from Hollywood. Reality is so much more mundane, and in that way, it's a lot more evil, and it's a lot more insidious, and it's a lot more... It's... Reality is a lot more sad than... And a lot less exciting. 
and a lot less um, like something Taylor Sheridan might be interested in depicting. I want to end this on a little bit of an uplifting note, and I want to assign another movie uh, to you or anybody else. It's kind of like an anecdote. Antidote? Antidote? How do you say that word? Antidote. Anecdote is a story, Nate. Antidote to Yellowstone. It's a movie called Certain Women. Have you ever seen it? No. It uh, came out in 2016, directed by Kelly Reichardt. Uh, it's a really small indie film. It's got Lily Gladstone in it of Killers of the Flower Moon fame. Um, but I think it nails what Montana is actually like. Uh, all the drama is small. The backdrop is February, so melting snow, bare trees, crappy strip malls, all that. Um, though I, I will say, I had a friend who actually didn't like the movie because they were like, like, after they watched it, they were like, why would I go to a movie that literally just reminds me of real life and <laughs> is depressing <laughs> and gross outside? So you're saying this is a good movie, but I'm not going to, like, be taken to shopping sites afterwards and want to buy a robe. That's what you're saying. I promise you, you are not going to be going in and, like, trying to buy. I think Kristen, Kristen Stewart's in it. Okay. She's rocking a turtleneck. She looks very comfortable. But, like, it's not exactly one that you're going to go out and, like, <laughs> try, try and purchase that turtleneck. That's probably for the best. This episode was reported and produced by me, Nate Hedgie, with help from Rebecca Lavoie, who is also our executive producer. It was edited by Taylor Quimby. Our team includes Felix Poon and Justine Paradise. Music in this episode came from Northside and Blue Dot Sessions. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of NHPR. NHPR.